0: What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Riding the Pine. Jack are back with you all today, and we've got another sensational show in store for everyone at home. But before I get into today's show, let's take a little dive into the last episode. I jumped right into a recap from all of the Game 7s from over the weekend in both the NHL playoffs as well as the NBA playoffs before being joined by an awesome guest, current overseas pro basketball player Jeff Gray. Jeff and I got into his career starting out playing Division Three basketball at Emerson College, how he was able to make his way over into the professional world of basketball, and so much more. So if you want to hear a little bit about Jeff's journey from Division Three hoops over to professional basketball, go check out episode 218 and all 218 episodes that are out now on all podcast platforms. And now moving into today, I'm going to get into discussing which of the top players in the transfer portal as of right now I could see making huge differences on Whatever team they land on in this upcoming season, I'll also share a little bit about each one of those players that I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on in the transfer portal before being joined by another tremendous guest, current overseas professional basketball player, Xavier Colbert. Xavier and I get into his career initially starting out also at a Division three school and how he was able to journey over and start playing professionally in Germany what it's been like for him trying to get all of the correct documentation lined up as well and what the ins and outs and the true process is for somebody to go over and play professionally overseas and so much more. So if you want to hear a little bit about the process to becoming a professional basketball player overseas and Xavier's journey to becoming a pro basketball player from the Division Three world, don't go anywhere because he'll be here before you know it. So with that, folks, let's make our way into our show for today. So as always, be sure to find your favorite seat here on the bench with me. Sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Okay, J. A. And welcome back, everyone, here to The Bench on RTP. As always, really appreciate everybody joining me today, grabbing a little seat on the bench with me today. We've got, as always, a great show in store for everyone at home really diving into the basketball we've got a great guest coming on soon and Xavier Colbert a really interesting journey and story as to how he was able to make it overseas to play professionally in Germany so another great conversation make sure you stick around for that but hope everyone is having a great week everyone is having a nice Friday and everyone's going to have a nice weekend ahead I know I'm recording this on Wednesday May 18th so we're not quite to Friday as of recording this but when this comes out it will be Friday but diving into today's show and getting into the nitty gritty, like. I mentioned in the intro, I want to just touch on a couple of the top or at least most intriguing transfer portal players that I have found as of right now that I think could be very under the radar or at least some really, really great, great players that could actually change a program's trajectory help them out big time and just overall be a great asset to a new program I'll also mention maybe some schools that are linked to some of these players I'm only going to do five I'll share a little bit about these players and just where I could see them winding up eventually so diving into the nitty-gritty getting into the here and now going into the first player from Iowa State a Cyclone who is now in the transfer portal so no longer a Cyclone Tyrese Hunter And he's an interesting player. He's an interesting, interesting player. Didn't have necessarily off-the-charts numbers this year. Struggled from beyond the arc. Shot around 27% from three. But he does a little bit of everything. I mean, he averaged just a little bit over four rebounds a game. A little bit over three assists a game. So he does a little bit of everything. He's a good scorer. I think what is so intriguing about him is that he's a freshman. He just wrapped up his freshman season at Iowa State. Playing good basketball in the Big 12. I mean, you look at his numbers against some of these ranked opponents that he was going up against and he was holding his own. I mean, he was truly, truly, truly holding his own this year. And I think that Tyrese Hunter could definitely be a big impact player. I'm not saying that he's going to be someone that can guide a team to a national championship necessarily, but in terms of a team that might need a piece or two, or might need some of that extra help, if you will. And again, somebody that is young, and could potentially stay for another year. That's the other intrigue of it. I mean, he doesn't really throw me as a guy that's going to immediately enter into the NBA draft right after his sophomore season. I could be wrong, but he doesn't throw me as that type of guy. About six foot, so again, a good-sized guard, has good numbers across the board, but he needs to work on the three-point shooting, and he's a tremendous defender as well. I know that Kansas, Tennessee, Louisville— Gonzaga, Texas, and Purdue are all looking at him. I actually think that he would fit really well at Purdue, maybe sliding in as Jaden Ivey is exiting out, goes to Purdue, comes in, and he could kind of be that everything guy that they can go to, whether it's getting a bucket, a much-needed assist, a much-needed rebound, whatever it might be. But then also, I could see him going to Kansas. I could see him staying in the Big 12 and deciding to go to Kansas Obviously, they've got a lot of guys kind of coming in and out of the program. So Hunter going to Kansas or Purdue would be, I think, at the top of my list for me as to where I could see him winding up. So the next guy I want to get into from Northern Iowa, A.J. Green. And why am I bringing him up? Because, yes, I know he did not play high major Division I basketball this past year. However, Northern Iowa has a good program. They are a good team. They have put teams in the NCAA tournament before they have produced good talent and they have also knocked off some of the top tier talent over the years in the country. So he comes from a good program, a good mid major program. He's a high percentage shooter that can score the ball. Okay. You look at his numbers shooting in the mid forties, just about averaging around 18 a game. And he's been doing this year after year after year at Northern Iowa. So, what I'm immediately intrigued by is the ability to not just be a great scorer, but to do it at a high percentage, and to be an efficient scorer at that. And he's coming from a program where his dad was the assistant coach, so that does maybe play into it a little bit, but you can't really come after the guy because it's, oh, well, his dad's one of the coaches, when he's actually proving. He's proving that he can be somebody that can play whether or not his dad's the coach or not, right? I mean, he's shown that he can play at the Division One level, shoot at an efficient rate, shoot a high percentage, and score a ton of points. His dad's now the assistant, or going to be one of the assistants at Iowa State. So maybe that's where he winds up. That would be very interesting. You know, maybe Iowa, kind of that same style of play, you know, a lot of perimeter shooting, I think he'll probably steer in the Big 12, Big 10 direction. I think that's where A.J. Green will wind up. I think that he'll go to probably Iowa State to play with his dad. But hey, who knows? I could be very wrong. So the next player who I think is actually one of my favorite, if not my favorite player in the transfer portal right now, Kenneth Lofton Jr. from Louisiana Tech. I love Kenneth Lofton Jr. Why? He's about 6'7", 6'8", goes 275, but he is a force down low a force down low. Okay, he's been improving each and every single season. Freshman year averaged around 12 points a game, 8 or 10 rebounds a game, comes back his sophomore season this past year, averaging 16 a game, 12 rebounds a game. So he's just getting out of his sophomore season, going to be a junior. He's clearly improved in each season in college basketball. And again, he is a very, very talented rebounder, was Top 10, top 20 this year in the country and rebounding at 10.5 a game. He's also a high percentage shooter. Shoots in the mid-50s usually. So this is a guy that I think could make a lot of programs very, very happy. Very happy. And thinking of a program right now that I think would be very intriguing for him that has actually had a lot of success with undersized bigs, two programs actually. One is Notre Dame, and two is Michigan State. I think that they would be two places for Lofton Jr. to wind up that could really be beneficial for him, right? Lofton Jr., again, undersized. You look at Notre Dame, who they've had over the years, guys like Bonzi Colson. You see what that team can do with an undersized big. So I think that Kenneth Lofton Jr. going to either Notre Dame or Michigan State would be very ideal, very, very beneficial for him. But again, I think that his ability as a rebounder, high percentage score, somebody that will get you 15, 20 points a game, and he'll get you 10 rebounds a game. I mean, why wouldn't you want that? Especially at the mid, at, at, at the major level, at the high major level, at the power five level. He's going to wind up at some power five conference. I guarantee that. So the next player that I'm going to dive into really is not a major offensive threat, but he is a problem defensively. Jamarian Sharp from Western Kentucky. This guy, flat out, I have it written in my notes right now. Tall, all in capitals. Seven foot five. Seven foot five. Okay, Averaged 8.2 a game this year, points per game that is, 7.6 rebounds a game, and 4.6 blocks per game. So just about five blocks per game. And I went through his box scores for all the different games he played in this year. You look at the block numbers he had, four blocks, five blocks, three blocks, three blocks. There was very, very few games where he had zero to one block. It was either two or more, every single game just about. It obviously lines up with his average of just a shade under five blocks a game, but his ability as a rim protector, a shot blocker, I think a lot of teams would love that. I think a lot of teams would really benefit from somebody with that type of size, obviously does not have the great offensive skill set that you would want to have from somebody that is that good defensively, but at the same time, he's able to play up and go up against really good talent and hold his own. Okay, coming from a a program like Western Kentucky, probably not playing the greatest of talent in the world. I mean, you're playing good mid-major basketball, but against Kentucky this year, he had seven blocks against Kentucky. Okay, he had a game this year where he had a triple double with 10 blocks. So this guy's a major rim protector. I think if you're looking at a school that is in desperate need of replacing some height, it's Auburn immediately Auburn jumps to mind right away Jabari Smith entering his name in the draft and Walker Kessler also going into the draft those are two large body at least Kessler in this regard post-oriented because he's more post-oriented than Jabari Smith is but two six foot ten seven foot individuals that no matter what are going to be rim protectors great shot blockers and good rebounders I think Jamarian Sharp would be a great fit, slides right on in there, and he would be a problem in the SEC, an absolute problem. He really would be. So Jamarian Sharp, I think, is going to be an interesting player to watch in the transfer portal, just like Kenneth Lofton Jr. I'm a big fan of both of them. And then finally, I'll wrap it up with Imani Bates from Memphis. And I'm mentioning Imani Bates because of all of the hype that he had coming into his career, all of the high-touted recruiting programs and everything else that had this guy labeled as a five-star recruit has not shown it has not shown it now i will admit did battle some injuries this year and he also kind of had all of that other stuff to deal with at memphis in terms of just penny hardaway and all of the sanctions that he's fallen under and all the violations that he's potentially committed so on and so forth i mean memphis went from being a hot destination for top tier prospects to go to, to i think now A program that's trying to pick up the pieces. And I think Imani Bates, he's very talented. I do wonder if maybe he was too highly touted. And as a result, it went to his head. He realized that he, or or he thought he didn't have to do much after that goes to Memphis, doesn't have a great year. And now he's kind of back to square one, trying to find another place to go and play. I've heard that both Louisville and DePaul are on his lists of potential landing spots. I mean, if you're a former five-star recruit and you're coming from a high-profile program and you're a high-profile player in yourself, why are you going to DePaul? Why? I think Louisville would be a much better place to go and continue your career, much better place to grow your ability as a player, grow your name, and expand your game also. I mean, Imani Bates is 17, 18 years old. He's very young. He's very young. So... Having another year in college I don't think is a bad thing. I know that when he was coming out of high school and the way he was regarded, it sounded like he would just be a one-and-done type of guy, but that's not going to be the case, right? I mean, he still has, I think, a lot to learn, a lot to do between now and when he becomes an NBA player. But ultimately, I think that if Bates goes to Louisville, that's where he will progress the best, and I think that's where his identity, his overall presence as a player and an NBA draft prospect will grow. So I think that Louisville would be a good place for Bates to go to. But all in all, there's a lot of really good players that are in the transfer portal right now. There's some really good players. And talking to some players as of recently and having some of the recent guests that have been joining Ride in the Pine, in in particular Chase Johnston a couple episodes ago, I mean, he's another great case, okay? Guy's a great basketball player, tremendous shooter, one of the best shooters, I would argue, in the entire country, And immediately gets scooped up. I mean, he said that he had tons of schools calling him. He even mentioned Memphis, UCF, Butler. I mean, a lot of good basketball schools. And he's going to Florida Gulf Coast, you know, so you can get lucky as a program that might at first be maybe an unsuspecting landing spot for that player. And you can really swing lucky and get a really, really beneficial player. And again, it even shows just how many talented guys there are in the transfer portal for basketball, you know, coming up in this later spring, early summer part of the year. But all in all, I mean, Tyrese Hunter from Iowa State, well, formerly from Iowa State, A.J. Green, formerly from Northern Iowa, Kenneth Lofton Jr., formerly from Louisiana Tech, Jamarian Sharp, formerly from Western Kentucky, and Imani Bates, formerly from Memphis, All five of them, very intriguing players that I'm going to be paying close attention to. I suggest everybody else also do the same and just keep your eyes and ears open for what's going on in the transfer portal because I think that we could see some players land in some unsuspecting places, but also some places that could really allow for their careers to take off and go to the next level. But folks, speaking of the next level, our guest that's coming on right now, he's had a very interesting journey to the next level and being able to go up from not only the college level, but also the pro level, and also not to mention describing and going a little bit more into detail into the process in which it takes to become an overseas pro basketball player. So folks, without further ado, please allow me to introduce to you all the one and only the talented Mr. Xavier Colbert. And I'm here with current overseas basketball player, Xavier Colbert. Xavier, great to get you on the show, my friend. How's it going?
1: How's it going for you?
0: Good, 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 good. Can't complain, can't complain. Glad that you could join us today on the show and whatnot. And I'm sure that you're probably enjoying a little bit of the off time that you've had right now since you're in the middle of the offseason. What's the offseason been like for you? And what do you plan on working on during the offseason?
1: Right now, I've been playing a couple of tournaments, um, just working on my, my overall game, improving them. Keeping it in and then off it's in both ways. So, yeah, just staying in the gym and just staying ready for my next opportunity.
0: That's awesome. Well, I know that you went to, I believe, a tournament last week, and it was, a, I think what you mentioned to me was a cash tournament. Talk a little bit about that and how the tournament went.
1: Uh, yeah, I played in a, a Native American cash tournament. It was for um, a, a young lady that passed away. So they... Whoever won, that yeah, won the cash. Um, the tournament went well. We finished two and two. The first game we uh, it was a freebie, <laughs> you can say. The team didn't show up. The second game was a kind of blowout, and in the third game we won by a slaughter rule. In the fourth game we just yeah, we fell apart. But it was a good tournament overall, though.
0: So talk a little bit about these tournaments. I mean, are there a lot of them? And then also, how do you find out about them? Is it just through word of mouth or social media?
1: Um, so this one um, I found out about on LinkedIn. Um, I was I, I connected with a someone and they um, asked me if I wanted to come out and play for them. And for me, I was like, yeah, it's Hoop, so like I'm down to come and yeah. But usually, yeah, you you usually see a flyer or something on on social media or something.
0: Interesting. Okay, because I've definitely heard that other overseas pro players are kind of doing the same thing that you're doing, finding these other tournaments to try and just keep their legs in in that same kind of motion if you will of playing up and down five on five and in, in live action but I want to get into your time overseas and, and in particular dealing with COVID right and playing with the pandemic and so on and so forth what was that like for you both on and off the court having to deal with COVID and especially in a foreign country?
1: For me like uh, when it, when COVID first happened we I didn't know what was really going on because over there, me and my girlfriend, we were walking and people were already having masks on. And we we're like, what? What's going on? And a couple months later, the U.S. says, yeah, we're about to go on lockdown, whatever. I was like, wow. So, like, it was just different than after COVID. Once COVID started, it just was a struggle for us, for me to find another opportunity because teams lost sponsorships and everything. Like, sometimes we had a we couldn't play because um, COVID. If you if a team, if someone in that town tested positive, the game was canceled. That
0: had to have been probably very challenging for you, right? I mean, what's that like kind of on a daily basis? Everything's changing all the time. You don't know if you're going to be playing or not playing. I mean, that probably has to wear on you after a while,
1: right? Yeah, you're just practicing all week hoping you play at the end of the week. So, and we played on Saturday and Sunday. So, yeah, that once COVID started, when we ended the season, we are about to go in like playoffs, playoff mode. And um, they said that, the season was over because of COVID, so we shut down, and I had to be home by 12 a.m. because that's when they put the travel ban. If not, I would have been quarantine for 14 days. So I got home around like 9, 20, three hours before, so it was kind of crazy.
0: Yeah, you're probably trying to sprint to your gate at the airport. I mean, I've actually had a couple people come on and, and discuss that kind of this Last second, you're throwing everything in your bag because, like you said, the travel ban was going to kick in. What was it like getting a flight during that? Was that probably pretty it was, challenging?
1: It was, oh my god, it was yeah, it was hectic. Like, my um, because my girlfriend left like two weeks before and she told me I should just come with her because, like, because COVID, like, she knew or something like that because her mom was telling her, and I was like, No, nah, I'm just going to finish the season, now. I'll be fine, and blah blah blah. And she, like, I woke up to like mad text like you got to go you got to get a flight da and I was like wow so I was trying to find a flight and they were they were really expensive it was crazy (laughs) it was so like I mean I had a layover and then I had a layover then I had a straight 11 hour flight home
0: oh my goodness what was that like getting back on home soil and and being able to be somewhat at peace especially I mean obviously you had the pandemic still going on but you were probably a little bit relieved right
1: yeah because I finally made it I was like wow Cause like, I wasn't, I wasn't really trying to do the 14 day quarantine. I wasn't at all just being out there. I wanted just to get home and relax. Cause like being away that much is like, it feels good. But at the same time, you want to be in a different, some different air, you know? Oh absolutely
0: yeah absolutely and and especially you know being able to be around loved ones friends and family and your girlfriend and I'm sure that probably also adds a lot more to it as well so good thing you were able to get home and and get home safely cuz I've I like I said I've had a lot of overseas pro basketball players come on and they've mentioned the same exact thing it was like you all were in the midst of this the leaving in the middle of the night, as I like to call it, kind of the uh, pull in a Baltimore Colts where you just pack up in the middle of the night and then you leave. So that, that's, it sounds like what everyone was doing, but glad you were able to get back safely. But Xavier, I want to get into your career and kind of work our way all the way into where you're at today in your career. You initially started playing at central Maine community college. Talk a little bit about what made you want to go to central Maine and then also why you decided to continue your career at the JUCO level initially.
1: Um, so I started at central Maine at, at that how I started there was crazy. Um, I w- I was supposed to go to a prep school, Spire Institute, um, in Ohio. They offered me a partial scholarship, but like I just couldn't come up with a rest because my financial aid for the where you take schools at was in Kent State. That's how they them tools were connected for like, you know, for if you want to move on to the higher level, so it'd be an easier transition. Um, so I couldn't get the the financial for the rest of the tuition so after that one of my high school teammates he told me that he was going to go play in this school up in maine i was like wow what's up there and he said nothing it's just it's a good opportunity just to play basketball you know focus on whatever and i was like okay and i reached out to the coach and the coach said that the the varsity team is full but we have a spot on the jv team i was like what like in my head i'm like no way and i'm like i just killed in high school i'm like. I had um, I had schools looking at me, and whatnot. So like, I was like, no way, I'm not playing JV. It's it's impossible. Um, so yeah, I went there. I I didn't even visit. I just my dad just drove me up there before school started, and yeah, I started. And we played open gym, uh, training, uh, conditioning, all that. Then comes around tryouts. I make varsity, and I was uh I get 12 minutes a game because we played the Kentucky five and five out. That's how we played. And we pressed the whole game, and we ended up being like uh, thirty-three and two, the best team in the nation. We went to nationals. We lost first round to the AC. <laughs>
0: Wow. What a, what a wild kind of progression of events. Like you said, going from being pretty much offered a JV spot to all of a sudden being a main contributor on the varsity at at a national level. What was that progression like for you? I mean, did you kind of slowly see it building up for you and in your favor? And eventually as it kind of started to come to fruition where you were starting to get time, I'm sure that was probably also a very uh, rewarding feeling for you, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. Like I I just stayed in the gym and just stayed ready. And I, I guess the coach just saw, what what I brought to the table and a lot of my teammates knew too as well so yeah I just say that no matter what now I knew what I could do
0: oh yeah absolutely and I think that's uh the most important thing right is being able to just be aware of what you're capable of doing and what like you said you bring to the table now how would you say that your time at Central Maine has helped shape you into the player that you are today I mean what kind of impact did that have in your career in the long run
1: uh, major because like I, I like just locked myself in the gym and I just stayed in my room I really didn't do much that was like I don't know it was really it was really nothing to do up there too as well it was, like it's a small area small college um small town so all you could do is really go in the gym Applebee's uh that's about it <laughs> and uh yeah so, yeah, I, it helped me focus more on basketball because that's what I really wanted to do from the jump. I knew like I wanted to play basketball. That's the only, and that's the only reason why I went to school is for basketball. So, yeah.
0: Now, would you give other people the advice of going JUCO, I guess? My question here is this. The the perception of JUCO, I feel like, is very negative for whatever reason. I've never understood that because I think that JUCO is actually a very beneficial thing for everybody. I've never had anybody come on this show and say I had a terrible experience in JUCO. How would you give that same advice, and would you advise others, maybe that are in a similar situation that you were in before, to also pursue the JUCO route?
1: Yeah, if it's if it's fitting, like that's that's that's, that's the main thing for me. Like, I'll advise JUCO if it fits your your playing style, it help you in your career, but, like, if you don't have to go JUCO, I wouldn't go JUCO, I'd rather just go straight Division three, you know? Like, if I if you're transferring, because that's what happened to me. I went to JUCO try to go get a higher, at a higher level, but, like, with the situation, with uh, how I messed up my freshman year by taking basic courses and whatnot, I put myself in a hole and I wasn't able to graduate, get an associate de- associate's degree at that time in the school that was I was talking to me. They said that I needed that. So for me, like I just, for me, I wasted two years in a way because I could have just went to division three for sure out of uh, high school. So like, if you're going to, if you know you're going to get something out of your Juco, yeah, I'll go to Juco route. But if you know you're just going to go division three, just go to division three like, right off the jump. Don't even waste your time because that's the years that you could have been developing into a championship team or you know, having more chemistry with this school that you were going to transfer to.
0: Well, I'm glad that you bring up the aspect of division three because you wind up going to what is now northern Vermont. I know it was at one point another name, Linden. Um, and again, I'm probably messing up the name there, but you went there, you decided to go and head off into the division three route. What steered you into the direction of going to northern Vermont?
1: Um so I went to I went to visit with my one of my teammates from Central Maine, and we we liked the area. It was something similar as Central Maine, and it was the coach at the time, um, he told us that he would let us play, let us do whatever we have a street game, and how the style he he told us that we will play like it was kind of like the pro style, and that's and that's the whole thing in our head. We're like, okay, yes, let's. This is good fitting, too. And, like, school-wise, it was – we could focus as well because there's not as many people in class. We had, like, we least probably 10 to 15, sometimes max 20. So it's, like, you know, it was easier to, you know, focus and whatnot and not just – yeah.
0: Well, when you first got there, I mean, you made an immediate impact. You averaged 15 a game your first year there – what from your time at Central Maine were you able to carry over to your time at Northern Vermont, and it kind of immediately paid off for you, and it started to really show in your game and your style of play on the court?
1: Um, I was able to just, I was able to be free. I was like, I was able to do whatever, you know, play my game. Like at Central Maine, I wasn't, I was in, like, each player had a role, and we had to buy into that role if we wanted to be successful. So at that time, I learned how to, I learned different parts of the game to help me develop into the player I was able to become into when I transfer. And right there, I was just, the coaches let me play free game and I was loose. It was easy, simple.
0: Yeah. I found that when coaches are not so overbearing and kind of on top of their players, as one would say, you start to see how that pays off for you, right? Your players can start to play a little bit more loose and can play their style of play. And as a result, it's it tends to be very successful, right? I mean, I think a lot of coaches need to not be so on top of their guys and just so you know down their throat about everything and just let them play and let them figure it out. Because at the end of the day, players are players, coaches are coaches. There's two different Job titles, if you will, right? There's two different descriptions That's of it. Nice. Now, you eventually get noticed by professional scouts, and you eventually head off and play professionally overseas, where you're obviously playing today, but I want to hear how you got noticed by pro scouts, because I'm actually a former Division three basketball player myself, and I will tell you this right now, and I've actually had a couple guys on recently that have also played Division three sports, and then we all kind of agreed... Not many pro scouts are at our games, that's for sure, at least not at my school. How did you get noticed by pro scouts? And did you find it challenging to get noticed by pro scouts coming from a D3 program?
1: Yes, for yeah, for sure. Cause I already knew. Um I started going to combines when I was a junior in college. So like I went to a couple combines and a couple coaches like they wanted me to like to go play with them, but like it was small, like ABA teams, but I, I knew I didn't want to play in the States. And I knew ABA didn't like pay as much, pay the, pay the bills. <laughs> I think you get like a hundred to 500 a game, whatever. And that's not much in this, in this world now, you know? So I, I kept playing. I, I went back to college in my senior year. Um, I went to Vegas to play in these combines. I mean, everything was good going there and whatnot and scouts, whatever. Like I got some people talk to me, but not a lot. So I mean, I wasted a lot of money going out there. Then I reached out to my old coach at Central Maine, and um, at how things were going over there, they were bringing in kids from Australia, and they had like an Australian connect. So I was gonna go to hit Australia after I finished everything, but my I couldn't get my visa in time. So I had to um I had to tell the team, um, thank you for your time and thank you for the opportunity. And they had to move on. So after that, I waited two years um, for my opportunity to go play in Germany. And that's when one of my boys, uh, he played over there as well. And he said, if you had the opportunity, if you think you can play in training camp, then come and play. And um, yeah, and I I went over there in training camp and I made it. It was was a a week. Yeah, it was tough. A long week. And then I uh, made that. I had to play there for a couple of days. Then after that, it got to a point where the, they didn't have enough sponsors. So I had to find another team. So I had to reach out to the teams myself to figure it out. So that's really what I had to do. Like, I really didn't – scouts didn't find me. People didn't find me. I more had to reach out and I had to, had people that I knew that knew someone. Like, that's more of it, of it, I would say.
0: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, I think in sports in general, whether it's, you know, front office, playing, whatever it might be, broadcasting, whatever, a lot of it is who you know, right? I think that's kind of the the, the gist of it is who you know, not what you know all the time. And I think that's also an important thing to know though is that you can use those connections you can reach out to those people and that you feel comfortable being able to connect with them and they also feel comfortable helping you out as well now i want to hear a little bit about that two-year period in between where you're still looking for a pro team i mean what's that process like trying to find a pro team during that time and then also what were you doing to try and keep yourself in shape for when that call was was coming your way
1: um it was it was a rough progress um i had to stay mentally strong cuz like a lot of a lot of people were asking me what's my plan b what's my this and that what's what are you going to do are you just not going to uh, play basketball are you not just not going to work or whatever are you are you are you just going to do something else like so it was just tough mentally then like i had to just stay in the gym to keep my mind right and once i I was in the gym. I kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing because I knew like I could play. Like, I knew like I can play. I just needed opportunity. Once I get the opportunity, it's it's in my hands and it's all, it's all in my control. So yeah, um, it, it was, it was pretty rough. I would say pretty rough. And like, it's just not knowing what, what, if you're really going to be able to play and you have people asking you every day, what's your plan? What's this? what's that, what's this, what's that, like, you know, so, like, it, it get to a point where you're starting to have doubt on yourself, so you have to, like, build, not build yourself up, but, like, somewhat, somewhere find the energy to keep pushing and keep going to where you don't, to the people that say those type of stuff, you just block them out, and you just use it as motivation, I would say,
0: Oh, absolutely! I think using that as motivation is is incredibly well put because you're always going to have naysayers in the background. You're always going to have people that are going to say, "Well, what are you going to do after this?" or "What's your you no know, your next option?" And I've often found, you know, with people that like that are like that, a lot of them are too afraid to do what you're doing. You know, they're too afraid to put themselves out there in that medium or in that space where you know everybody's kind of watching them, or it's you know maybe a little bit risky or whatever. But as a result you're able to do something that a million other people lined up next to you can't do. And I think that goes even further in life. And I think that carries a whole lot more weight as well than wondering what's my plan B, what's my plan B. And I want to kind of tie in how your coach at Northern Vermont had mentioned that it was going to be more of a pro style of basketball. So do you feel that your time at Northern Vermont and playing division three basketball helped prepare you for that pro level of basketball?
1: Uh, no, because <laughs> The position he had me playing, it wasn't the position I play now. So, I mean, it helped me on the defensive side because I was able to guard bigger guys because at the time he had me playing the four and, like, I guess I'm not – over the I'm a one or a two. But I'm a big – I'm a big one too. So, yeah. Yeah. So, nah, I wouldn't say it helped. It was just – it made me, uh, yeah, made me better on defense. Yeah, that's
0: it. <laughs> well, I think that's great because defense is, a, I mean, a huge part of basketball, right? And I think that's, you know, an important thing still that, you know, you were able to feel somewhat prepared going over and, and not getting so blindsided by the the, the the faster pace of play, you know, the taller bodies, the more physicality, whatever else it might be. Now, what have you noticed since playing overseas is different in the style of play versus playing in America?
1: Defense is no defense of three seconds. Interesting. You know what's funny? No defense of three seconds. I just had somebody.
0: Yeah, I just had somebody on my show come on and mention that same exact thing that you bring up. And it kind of is interesting because. You know you hear a lot of the overseas guys that are playing in the nba right now and they think it's easy to score in the nba because of that rule have you do you think that that kind of logic lines up since you're playing overseas right now i'm sure it's very hard for you to try and get in the paint and get in the the middle of the defense with it you know there's no defense of three seconds
1: yeah for sure it's a whole different game it's i think it's way easier in nba than it is in europe because like you they clog the paint (laughs) You either gotta finish or you gotta kick out. It, yeah, it's it's tough. And another thing is I think it's tougher that like, it's more physical in Europe than it is in the NBA as well. That's another thing. Yeah, and uh, I know I to that used to.
0: I know the one rule where you can just grab the ball off the rim, uh that's another thing that uh you know people don't really realize here in the States that you know you play feeble rules and that's a okay and you're able to basically take a couple of those quote unquote shooter friendly rolls and you take them right off the rim. I'm sure you probably yeah. love doing that, right?
1: Smacking it right off. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's got to be very, very exciting. Was that, was that kind of a fun new rule for you to get adjusted to since you're coming from a, st- a, a, a style of play where you're not allowed to do that? I'm sure that was probably an, an enjoyable adjustment for you.
1: It was really different at first. And uh, I didn't, and I didn't think it really happened in games then until I saw it. So, oh wow! Yeah, you really can do it. Like it's really possible, and you get you get more opportunities to do it than you really think you do.
0: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure you get to, so many opportunities. Now, what was the adjustment to just life overseas in general? I mean, what was it like just getting used to waking up in a different environment? You know, you're on a different time zone. I'm sure that was probably a whole new adjustment for you. So, what was that adjustment off the court like for you?
1: Um the eating my eating schedule was that was the adjustment I had to really try to get down I mean I still struggle when I go back back and forth yeah eating cause like sometimes I'll wake up early but I don't I'm not hungry because it's like the US time it's like morning night time I'm like I can't eat so I'll eat like around like 12 over 12 in Germany and it's like morning time over here it's like you know like 6 or 7 so yeah, that was kind of tough for me.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I, I feel like that would be definitely you know very challenging, and then also that time zone. I mean, those for probably what first three or four days, you're you're probably your sleep schedule is all over the place.
1: It's crazy. Sometimes I'll stay up until like five o'clock at night. Five o'clock, yeah, and it'd be wild, and wake up and wake up at nine. <laughs> oh my god, it's crazy! It was so then- crazy.
0: When you come back to America, are you finding yourself that you're sleeping at weird hours of the day, those first three or four days back?
1: Yeah, for sure. Like, even now, I still, like, if I if I fall asleep at, like, four to, in the a- afternoon, I'll wake up at 11 at night, and i will be up for the rest of the day. Oh, my goodness. That's <laughs> got to be crazy. so
0: frustrating. Is that frustrating?
1: It's, I mean, yeah, at times, because I'm, like, I'm just up, and my, my girlfriend's just going to bed. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> See you in the morning. I'm just up, you know, watching TV, whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's got to be such a, a challenging thing to have to constantly do. And especially you're doing it a couple times a year. Right. So that's another whole well, aspect of it, that it's a constant thing for you. Um, so now getting into this offseason and kind of looking ahead, when you go back over to Germany and then also what's going to be kind of on the horizon for you once you go back and when the season kind of kicks back up?
1: Um, so right now, my team, the team that I'm supposed to go back to, they're, um, they're finishing up playdowns. Um, play, uh, I don't know if you know what playdowns are.
0: I'm not, I'm, so I'm not familiar. There.
1: So playdowns is like you have to win a certain amount of games to stay in the league. Then you, you know, at the bottom two that the bottom two, they move down another stay or at the top and the usually the top two move up, something like that. That's, the, that's the playoffs over there. But my team has one more game left, and um, they're going to stay in the league. But right now, we're just trying to figure out how I'm going to get back over here, with my visa situation, and everything. Because that's the why. That's the reason why I left the first time this past year, and, uh, and in October I had to leave because we couldn't get my player pass and my visa and stuff situated. So right now, I just I had a meeting with them this morning. So yeah, that's what we're working on right now to get everything situated for me to get back over there in August.
0: So share a little bit about the whole visa experience and what that's like. Cause I feel like that's something that, you know, people here in the States also don't understand is that you have to probably get a whole lot more documentation and everything else. I mean, that's gotta be very, very agonizing, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so like the top, you know, like, so over here in Germany, you have the BBL, that's the top league over there. Then you have pro A then you have pro B then you have Reganella one and Reganella two. So right now I'm in Reganella two. Um, and you're only allowed to have one American per one, one American per team. And you have to be able to show like the housing, the, the salary, um, and the insurance for him that for the American to play. You no. Know, so like the, if it was like pro A pro B, I think it'd be kind of easier, but like the rigging one and rigging two is more, more little stuff you have to do. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I actually, um, uh... I just got a new car. And so I didn't realize how much, and I'm from a, I'm from Maryland, but I live in Pennsylvania. And so I had to get a ton of documentation, way more than I thought was going to be needed. And so my dad and I are going back and forth and he's like, well, you need this. I'm like, okay. And then every single time I talk to him, he's adding a new piece of paper that I needed. So I, I, obviously your situation is very, very different because you're not getting a new car, but I could see how that documentation stuff can get very annoying cuz it's a you got to keep track of everything. B, it's I'm sure you've probably found this happening to yourself. You're told you need X Y and Z and then they say that you need now A and B too and you didn't have A and B. So I I can I can, tef- I can definitely reason with you on that. That's got to be really really annoying. Now when your visa expires or whatever happens, I'm guessing you have to go through that whole process all over again, right?
1: Yeah, um, so, like, you get a player pass. So they'll, You'll get a player pass, and, like, if you don't sign with the team, again, you have to, the GM has to release you. So, like, when I, before I played with this team, and the team that I played for now is called Lyman. I'm supposed to go play with the Germ in August. They're called Lyman. This team's called Lyman. But the team before, I had to get released from them to come and play for them to be able to get a player pass. So, yeah. Wow.
0: So you have to get a visa and a player pass. So there's, there's even more that you need.
1: Yeah. So the, like the, your visa, I guess your visa helps you get your player pass. Cause like when I, first, when I just went over there this past August, I got to the, I got to Germany and I'm, I'm at like the, the international check-in to go through the gates. And she asked and she's asking me for a paper. Like, I'm like, I don't have nothing. The only thing I have is, um, I email saying that I'm coming to play for this team, blah blah blah, and they said we need more. So I'm like, in my head, I'm starting to freak. Out. I'm like, oh, I'm I'm about to not be able to get through. So like, she called. She called someone, and yeah, and yeah, wow. <laughs> and she they let me through because they saw the email again.
0: Oh Her, man, you have gone through it all. Jeez, Louise, my
1: yeah, friend. I like I had to show them at like two at least two 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 or three emails for them to let me through.
0: Wow, what a process! You are jumping through hoops just to go yeah. shoot hoops. Unbelievable! That is insane. Well, good. I'm I'm glad that you're able to get through it, my friend. You're able to to continue to pursue the passion and love of the game of basketball because, um, you know, I think a lot of people would be very discouraged from a lot of this and having to go through all this, these different steps and whatnot. And you just, you don't seem phased. I mean, I think that also speaks volume to your character and just who you are as a person. Um, But Xavier, you've been awesome to have on the show today. I've actually learned a ton about overseas basketball and I thought I knew a lot. So now I know even more. So I appreciate that. But before I let you go, I've got one last question and it kind of involves this realization or an epiphany, if you will, as to when you realized you could play basketball at the professional level. So for you, when did you kind of have that moment where it Clicked in your head and you said, I can play basketball at the pro level.
1: Um, I, I when I was younger, I knew, like I was a football star when I was younger. So like, I used to play basketball with my friends and all that. And I knew like when I kept, when I was, I kept on playing and playing and playing. I was like, okay, like I can play this. Like, this is, this is a skillful game. Like you get better every time more you play. So I was like, okay. The more I play, the more I see of me getting better and better and better. And I was like, "Yeah." I just kept watching the pro game, and even like overseas, I'm like, "Okay, I can play this. I can play overseas style." It's like it's simple. It's the fundamentals. Like you don't have to do too much or whatever. So yeah, I just I really just kept watching basketball, and I kept understanding the game more and more and more. So it made it easier for me to understand that what I can do and what I can't do. You know, what I had to work on in that sense to help me be able to play at the pro level.
0: Well, I always like to say that, you know, the best players are also the best students. And it sounds like you've been a student of the game for a very, very long time. And I wish you nothing but luck in this offseason. And hopefully all the paperwork gets figured out and you don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> um, but good luck in this offseason. Good luck in your next season. And uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me on.
0: And there he goes, Xavier Colbert. Another fantastic episode today, everyone. Thanks for joining me here on the bench. Be sure to keep following and subscribing to Ride in the Pine on Apple and Spotify, and keep following on Twitter at ride the pine 20 rtp all capital instagram at riding underscore the underscore pine underscore and on tiktok at riding the pine all lowercase for all the latest updates on episodes and content to come all 219 episodes are out now keep leaving those ratings and reviews and more importantly keep getting your name added to the e-newsletter list we've got a lot of great things in store on riding the pine but once again everyone thanks so much for tuning in today and until next time on riding the pine keep on sitting the bench with me